We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, uh, first uh, two uh, important announcements. Number one, uh, we will be inshallah finishing Al-Fatiha today. We're going to finish the first two today. So for those of you who are attending both classes, but skipping one because they're they're doubling up right now. As of the next class, they will there'll be two different classes, and you're all welcome to both. Uh, number two, even then tomorrow we will not have class. Uh, hopefully, I'll remember to say this at the end of class today. Tomorrow we will not have class because I have to do something for the the Council of Islamic Organizations. But we will return. We will resume on Tuesday, then inshallah, in Chicago time, six o'clock. Okay, so having said that, uh, where we left off was discussing that Allah, that we are asking Allah for guidance. And then once again, can you all let me know you can see the, the whiteboard? Nod your head or something good, okay. So we're literally praying to Allah, guide us on the straight path. Guide us on the straight path. So we spoke about the idea of the straight path yesterday. We also spoke about the idea of we, is this whole surah we are speaking as a we. And we also spoke about the idea of, of asking for guidance or asking for, 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 for anything. So now let us define what is the straight path. Guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored. Those whom you have favored, not of those who have anger on them, not of those on whom is anger, nor of those astray. So this is the last part of Al-Fatiha, as, as I'm sure you all, uh, you, you all know. So <clears throat> one question we did not answer yesterday is, what does it actually mean to be on the straight path? That we will discuss in a moment. And then today we're going to look at what does it mean to, be, to have Allah's favors? How does anger fit here? And then briefly we'll talk about being astray. So, when we are asking Allah, guide us on the straight path, we gave a whole bunch of definitions through the language of GPS, the easiest way, the most direct way, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the path of least resistance, so forth and so on, the path with the fewest obstacles, with the fewest struggles, and if there's a straight path, then there's also crooked paths and such, so forth and so on. Now, looking in the Quran, if we open up to Surah 4, Surah 4, and I keep forgetting what ayah it is, but we'll bring it up right now, and I believe it's ayah 69, it's either 68 or 69 or 67. So do you all see the, the Quran on my screen? Yeah. So ayah 69. 
Okay, wait, or Ayah 68. And we would guide them. We would guide them. We would definitely guide them onto the straight path. And what does it mean to be on the straight path? It means to obey Allah and his messenger. Okay, that's the, the most simple definition of being on the straight path. Those who obey Allah and his messenger. Those are the people. And then in the course of being on the straight path, there's four types of people who are there. The messengers, sorry, the messengers, the truthful, those who bear witness to the truth, and the righteous. The messengers, Nabiyin, the truthful, Siddiqin, those who bear witness to the truth, Shuhada, and the righteous, the Salihin. Nabiyin, Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. Now, we're going to define these in a second, but a shortcut to getting on the straight path is to put yourself in the company of these people. What excellent companions these are. So, let me switch back to whiteboard. Okay, so we're saying on the straight path, what is the straight path? It is to obey Allah and his messenger. And then who is on the straight path? The prophets, the recognizers of truth. And I'm going to explain this meaning in a second. Okay. And then what is translated as the martyrs. And then the righteous. Seems like somebody this afternoon has been trying to break into my Twitter because I keep getting uh, your Twitter password uh, code is such and such. In any case, the prophets. So the being Siddiqin, Shuhada, Salihin. Okay. So, <clears throat> so. Perfect question, Isaac. We'll ask that. We'll answer that in just a moment. So, Nabiyin, so these are the prophets. Uh, simple question. In, in, according to our sources, how many prophets have there been in history? Simple question. Anybody? One hundred twenty-four thousand. Hundred twenty-four thousand. Now, the question that is a little bit more difficult. How many messengers have there been? But let's before let's define a messenger first. A prophet is anyone who has been appointed by Allah to call their people back to Allah and 
also live what it means to, to turn to Allah. So a prophet is anyone who's been appointed by Allah with the assignment of calling their people to turn to Allah. And that prophet also has to be the model of what does it mean. And the messenger is a prophet with all those responsibilities who also receives scripture of some sort, a book to deliver to their people. And so, yes, uh, Basra, you're correct about 300. iPhone FFW9E5YKXKN. Um, I guess that's the name that your family refers to you by. Yes, you are correct. 313 messengers. We're saying potentially that there have been 313 books in the history of Islam, of which the Quran mentions about two different prophets, two dozen prophets in about half a dozen books. But we're saying that there's this many meaning every single inch of the world has received a prophet and just about every inch, uh, place in the world has received messengers. So where do I get this number from? What source? This is all the Hadith literature. So the 124,000 comes from the prophet, peace be upon him, on the night journey. when he is saying he led that all the, the prophets and there were 124,000 people there. So, so that line... Uh, I can't be in the company of them, at least not in waking life, uh, perhaps in sleeping life. I can have dreams of them. But then Siddiqin, what does it mean to be Siddiq? Siddiq means that you are so truthful that you recognize the truth when you see it and you embrace it immediately. So Siddiq means you are so truthful that you recognize the truth when you see it and you embrace it. You embrace it immediately. So Abu Bakr, his nickname was As-Siddiq, and a couple reasons. One is that the Prophet says, peace be upon him, just about everyone asked questions before entering Islam. Abu Bakr didn't ask any questions. He just entered right away. And another is that when the Prophet, peace be upon him, returned from the night journey, and he's telling everyone what he just did, some people are thinking it was the most preposterous claim of them all. And then they go to Abu Bakr and they say to Abu Bakr, can you believe what your friend is saying now? And Abu Bakr says, well, if he said it, it's true. So what is it? What did he say? And then they said, well, he, you know, he went through uh, Jerusalem and he went through hell and heaven and everything. And Abu Bakr says the Quran is more amazing than the night journey. I believe these words are coming from the sky. <clears throat> and these words are more amazing than that. And so Siddiq, means that you have such clarity that you recognize the truth when you see it and you embrace it. Shuhada, the ultimate shuhada is a martyr, but what does it mean to be a, a, a witness? It means you're, you're walking the walk. You are practicing your beliefs. You're not just giving lip service. And so those are the shuhada. And then the salihin, the salih, is not just someone who's righteous, but someone who is so righteous that people feel compelled to be upright by just by being in their company. So let's say, let's say Khuram is hypothetically one of the Salihin, any of us who hang out with him, we just feel compelled to be more upright just by being in his company. So these are the people you would find on the straight path. And a way to, uh, to think of this is these are three different definitions of what does it truly mean to be religious? One is to have such clarity of truth 
that you speak the truth and you recognize the truth when you see it. Another is to live it in the way you conduct your life. And another is to be upright in your character. So upright in your character, the people around you keep themselves upright as well. Not out of fear that you're going to yell at them or anything. It's just, it's honoring, respecting your character. Okay. <clears throat> so we said that the shortcut then to be on the straight path is to put yourself in the company of any of these people. The goal is to try to become any of these three or all of these three. That's the goal. So now we're going to go back. Actually, no, that's what we have uh, for, for that. So uh, looking back at the, that's the straight path itself, a definition of who is on the straight path and what does it mean to be on the straight path. Now let's look at this idea of the path of those whom you have favored. Okay. <clears throat> Simple question. Name anybody or anything from history that has not received favors from Allah. Anyone? Name anyone who did not receive any favors from Allah. Maybe you want to guess. Basil, you look like you're about to say something. Quran. <laughs> say it again. Quran. Who? Uh, Sharon. Oh, Pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he seemed to receive all kinds of favors. He seemed to receive every favor of Dunya of them all. It's just that he squandered it all. Anyone else? Usually the two people everyone guesses would be Pharaoh or Shaitan. But Shaitan also had all kinds of favors, but squandered his, his favors as well. So it's sort of a trick question. We're saying that there's no one in history who did not receive favors from Allah, which means especially that you and I have received favors from Allah, hence the point of the gratitude assignment. Which means what? If I'm asking Allah to put me on the path of those whom he has favored, one way we're defining this is open my eyes. Show me the favors of my life. Guide me to see what you have given me as favors. Another way to define the path of those whom you have favored to define guidance itself is if I'm asking to be guided, then by definition, I'm already guided. If I'm saying to Allah, Ya Allah, please guide me, then by definition, the fact that I'm turning to Allah means I've already started the process of guidance. So again, when I'm saying, Put me on the straight path, okay, the path of those who obey Allah and his messenger, and then these people are on the path. But then when I'm saying, guide, put me on the path of those whom you have favored, I'm literally saying, open my eyes to see all the favors you've, you've given me. Now, if I see my life as full of favors, easy question, not a trick question. If I see my life as full of favors, how do I respond? Anyone? Gratitude, alhamdulillah. With gratitude, with alhamdulillah, which is literally the whole idea of the surah. Alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. So in its essence, this surah is a prayer for gratitude. 
when we're praying for guidance, we're praying for gratitude. So back to the point yesterday on how I imagine Islam. Point I made yesterday was that okay, it can either help my, my practice of Islam or it can make it feel like a burden. So increased obedience of Allah and obedience of the Prophet, peace be upon him, should have a corresponding increase of gratitude. And that takes some effort to, to sort of calibrate yourself to recognize obedience of Allah and make that synonymous with gratitude because we're so conditioned when we hear the word obedience to think of it as a burden. Okay, <clears throat> so that is the path of those whom you have favored. The path of those on whom is anger. First point to consider is many of our translations will say those on whom is your anger. That is not part of the text. That is we can say in terms of the rhetoric of the surah that it's referring to Allah's anger, but it is not part of the text. Ghayril maghdubi alayhim. Ghayril other than, other than al-maghdub, those on whom is anger, alayhim on them. Pretty much all the translations say that, actually. Yeah, and I'm saying that that's actually not part of the text. I mean, how do translations work? The way they work is that they are sort of grandfathered in. So if I'm writing a translation of the Quran, I'll have 10 other translations in front of me. Yeah. And and so I'm also going to be looking at what everybody else is saying. This also goes back to the translation of the word Rabb, oh. right? Which is almost always translated as Lord. Why? Because everyone else seems to be doing it, so I do it too. But for example, you'll see Yusuf Ali will translate this line as whose portion is not wrath. Um, and then those of you who have the Halim translation, uh, I think they even had a footnote uh, at the bottom. So uh, Fariha, yeah, you have the, uh, the Halim translation for you. Yeah. And so, so when we're speaking of anger, this is also again bringing the whole surah full circle. Anger is what? Anger is ingratitude. Now to help understand this point, this next point, Think of anger as, uh, as a metaphor, as being like fire. And think of gratitude as a metaphor, as being like water. Over the course of your life, one is going to win over the other. Either the, the fire of anger is going to evaporate the water of gratitude or the water of gratitude is going to extinguish the fire of anger. Now, it is possible to have both, but over the course of your life, one is going to spread over the other one. And thus it becomes especially important to keep cultivating your gratitude, to keep nurturing and growing your gratitude to Allah. So <clears throat> when we're speaking of not of those on whom is anger, there's also an additional point here, and that is about what we call adab. So Arabs, uh, how do we define adab? Dead silence. Okay, so adab is essentially manners, yeah, good festival, manners or refinement. 
numerous meanings, numerous usages of this word. The common is, uh, commonality is often this idea of refinement. Now, what is the point that I'm making here? That not only are we speaking, is Allah speaking in this surah, he's also speaking in a particular way. And we're getting a lesson here on the adab of speaking about Allah. Now, what is the point here? I think you all understand, for example, that in English, if I'm going to be making reference to Allah, I'm going to use a capital letter, right? That's, that seems to make sense, even though in Arabic, there's no capital letters. And then likewise, if I'm going to be speaking about Allah, I'm going to be speaking about Allah with respect, not in the way I would speak about one of my, my, my guys that I hang out with. Okay. But likewise, when speaking about Allah, there are some things that are understood, but that out of respect, we may not say. So for example, is Allah the creator of all? Yes. Does that mean he created the devil? Yes. Is Allah the controller of all? Yes. Does that mean, from one lens, that he's controlled everything that the devil did? Sure. Is Allah the creator of evil? Yes. Out of manners, however, we don't say that. It's understood. He's the creator of all. Bingo. And even in the case of evil, we would still say that all that Allah has created is good. It might be different levels of good, higher and lower and such. But you see the point? That here, very rarely in the Quran do we actually speak of Allah's anger. If you go through all the references to Allah in the Quran, you might find, find anger less than half a dozen times out of 6,000 ayahs. And that's where we're saying something even closer to references to anger than we see in this ayah. Or this ayah literally does not say it, but we might argue in terms of the rhetoric of the ayah might be referring to Allah's anger. Right? There's a reference to the children of Israel who were misbehaving so much that they earned the wrath, ghadab min Allah, wrath from Allah. So, so the point here is that what is the surah about? This is not about the anger of Allah. The surah is about the rahmah of Allah from the start all the way through the finish. But how do I go on the path of anger? It's with ingratitude. To the point, we won't look at it, but if you want to look on your own, in Surah 31, Surah Luqman, around Ayah 12, Allah is saying that, you know, we endowed Luqman with wisdom. And that wisdom led him to be grateful to Allah. So Surah 31, uh, around Ayah 12, around Ayah 12 and 13. And so <clears throat> then we have the third way to describe the straight path, which is the people who are just lost. Not even a matter of gratitude or ingratitude, they're just completely lost. So what are we saying then that fundamentally, what is Al-Fatiha? Al-Fatiha is a prayer where we are speaking to Allah on behalf of everyone else, and we're asking Allah, by asking Allah to be on the straight path, we're asking Allah, increase me in my obedience to you and show me all the good that you have given me. Guide me to be able to see it. So in the most simple sense, al-Fatiha is also a prayer for gratitude. Okay, any questions about any of this? So can um, I love the way that you've explained this. This is beautiful. Um, and it resonates very well. 
Um, so how, I have a couple questions around this. First of all, how accepted is this idea, you know, this presentation that this does not really mean Allah's anger? And, you know, is there room for it to really be open? You know, can it potentially mean Allah's anger and not, you know, our own ingratitude or anger, mm. you know, is... So the, the way the math would work is that if I'm responding to Allah with ingratitude, what would Allah's response to me be? And so a common reading would be the anger of Allah, right? And so the key point that I'm saying is not that this is saying Allah does not have anger, but that the literal text does not say it. But we can still argue soundly that in terms of the rhetoric of the whole text, you know, he's the one who is most merciful. He's the master of the day of judgment. He's the one who guides us on a straight path. He's the one who favors. Therefore, it's also speaking of his anger, right? But it's his anger as a consequence. You know. Make sense? Uh, or if, a second question? Or if we are, or someone is angry, like is angry, or if a person has anger, that person like ultimately perceive any response from God as, as a response in anger. Yeah, that's uh, very commonly the case. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I mentioned before, that what I perceive of Allah in my heart will manifest in terms of how I look at how life is happening. And if I see Allah's anger angry with me, then that's how I'm going to interpret big and small uh, events. And maybe after like a year or a few months, when you are calmed down and you reflect back, you may see those uh, those events completely differently. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, Shelley, so my other, yeah. oh my, yeah, my other question was um, about shaitan. How you said that you know Allah controls shaitan. I thought that the idea was that he has free will as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, why is that the use of it? He controls them. So a way to think about this is if we were to look at reality through, through POVs, yeah, let's add another one. So let's say we have, we have the Allah perspective, the me perspective, the shallow perspective, but we're focused on me. Yeah. So in this dunya, if we're looking from the Allah's perspective, Allah is controlling all. if it is possible to have an Allah perspective and somehow it is not a contradiction that he is allowing all as well. Yeah. And this is the problem if we try to even get into the Allah perspective, right? We're going to start tripping over ourselves. But from my perspective of me, so in my head, I am making choices, right? Free will. But now from Shala's perspective, looking at me, uh, either Omar is making choices or Allah is controlling. It's the same I mean, thing. it can be a combination of both of these too, right? Sure, I but mean... the, the key point I'm making is that it's entirely possible that from your perspective, I'm 100% run, uh, controlled by Allah. See what I'm saying? That what is the, what are we uh, effectively saying? 
I can never get out of my head and I can never get into someone else's head. And so what's motivating my choices from your perspective, it's irrelevant, except you're seeing the choices themselves. Yeah. So all this is, a, is different uh, types of POVs, different types of subject, subjectivities. But what we are saying is that potentially from the Allah perspective, he is controlling all. So one level, we're arguing that shaitan is fulfilling the exact script that Allah has written for him. That's literally the complaint that shaitan makes to him. He says, because you made this happen to me, I'm going to sit on a straight path and take down your followers, right? But if we were to get inside of shaitan's head, he's the one who's making his choices. Right? He's the one who's driven by jealousy. He's the one who's arrogant so that he's not going to prostrate and he's the one who's not going to ask for forgiveness so far and so on. And I believe that at that time he was definitely very angry too. Yeah, yeah. So that's the anger element. Yeah, anger and gratitude. Shal, does it make sense? Yeah, it's a lot to process. I think, I think so. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, I mean, if the yeah. only thing a person takes from this screen is that we are making our own choices, that's sufficient for what you need in terms of going through life. The benefit of belief that Allah controls all, we find this in Surah 57. When we talk about uh, fate, when we talk about fate or predestination, and it's in Surah 57, which is iron al-Hadid, Around Ayah 20, we're taught that whatever of loss that happens to you and whatever of ease or fortune that you gain, it's pre-written. And what does that allow us? It helps us in coping with life. So there, uh, whatever loss I've experienced, it's pre-written. So I gave the example yesterday that you have the two twins, both of them smoke, and then one gets emphysema, right? It was written for that person to get emphysema. Not as a punishment, but uh, suppose you have a third person who by secondhand smoke got emphysema, and that third person is not a smoker. And so... What you gain in fortune is also pre-written to minimize uh, boasting. Minimize. And so the point here is that imagine you have four people who have equal uh, credentials all applying for the exact same job. One person gets the job because their uh, application just happened to land at the right time in the employer's eyes. So that was written. And so, so there is a benefit to belief in predestination for those things that are outside of your control. But when we are looking at ourselves, we look at ourselves as pre-written. 
Nevertheless, or we look at ourselves as free will, I'm sorry, but nevertheless, suppose we have two people, you know, two twins, and uh, separately, two people who look like they're in need walk up to them. You know, my joke, like, you know, they they look totally like they haven't taken a shower in two weeks, totally dirty, uh, smell bad. And so I interpret that, okay, they're probably undergrads. But the point is that two people come to them in need. And each of these two twins gives $5 to that person who came to them. So this person gave $5 to that person, this person, this other person, this person, other person gave $5 to, to that person. Okay, so we have two twins, twin A and twin B. Each person gave $5 to, to these respective people in need. Now, the first person, here, let's make it even easier. Okay, so we have two people. We have Isa and Alina. Isa is walking down the street in one place. Alina is walking down the street in another place. Somebody walks up to Isa, says, I need help. Somebody walks up to Alina and says, I need help. Isa gives her person $5. Alina gives her person $5. Now, for whatever reason, the person who Isa gave money to was so inspired that they saved 250 of that and they gave 250 to someone else. Whereas the person Alina gave her money to wasn't as inspired and they consumed the whole thing. So Isa is getting rewarded for giving $5 to her person. Plus she's getting rewarded for inspiring that person to give of their own wealth. But that person being inspired, that was, that was God's will. See what I'm saying? That even if I'm doing something, the consequences of my action, I'm making my choice, but the consequences are in God's will. And so it could be that I do an action that I thought was irrelevant, but inspired a whole wave of people to do good. And thus, uh, I get rewarded for all the people I unintentionally inspired. So all that inspiration is God's will. So God will never give me less than what I have earned, but he may give me much more. Make sense? Requisite nods? Yes, yes, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Shall you look at another question? You were talk talking about free will and making choices. Who was so who's speaking? Oh, Judy, are you speaking? About free will and making choices. I, I simplify it when you have kids. I tell my kids, God gives us a circumstance. Uh -huh. And 100% of the time, we have to show up and give 100% effort. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And it's just that the consequence of your efforts uh, might be very small or might be very big. That is beyond your, your, uh, um, your control. So, I mean, I'll give you real world examples. Uh, one time this couple asked me to perform their wedding. And the reason why they wanted me to is that the groom was a convert and he attended one of my talks and that convinced him to become Muslim. And I'm not saying this out of any nobility or showing off or anything. When they told me that, that scared me for a couple of reasons. One is because I remembered that particular talk and it was at, it was at a school and I arrived miserable, I gave my talk, and I left miserable. 
right? For no particular reasons, maybe I was in a bad mood or something. And, but then there is someone there who was literally inspired to become Muslim from the talk. And then that further scared me because how many times did the opposite happen where, you know, I thought I created the world's greatest talk and someone gets turned away, right? And so the consequences of our efforts are beyond our control, but the consequences may result in even more reward, but not less. Okay, any other questions? And I don't know if, if Judy, if you're typing right now or... Okay. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, so we're now finishing Al-Fatiha. We don't have any new homework assignments yet. But uh, just a reminder again to everyone, we do not have class tomorrow. Tomorrow, Monday, Chicago time, which is when we would normally have class, we do not have class because I have to go do a thing for, for, for the Council of Islamic Organizations. We will reconvene on Tuesday, inshallah. And, and we will then begin Al-Baqarah. Our ideal is to get to Ayah 39 of Al-Baqarah. We may or may not even get to half of that, which is fine. Um, but um, you know, we're slowly and steadily building a complete picture of reality and engaging with Allah Ta'ala and such. Okay, no other last questions? Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, Allah. Wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. One or two, we like, and we turn to you. Okay, Melo, tell word you all, inshallah. Hopefully, uh, this is all continuing to be of some sort of benefit, and we'll see you in two days. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.